welcome to the Press Gallery, Edmonton Journal's politics podcast, the Great Debate Edition. My name is Brent Whitmire, I'm an editorial and features writer, and I am here in the Journal Newsroom studio on Friday, August 7th. No knockout punches in last night's federal leaders debate, but a few knuckle sandwiches landed here and there. Even before that, we'd heard about Stephen Harper calling Alberta a disaster, a population that has taken to the streets in apoplectic rejection of a new government. We'll talk about that, as well as those primary care network funding cuts that might be coming after all. As always, I promise we'll keep it civil. Here in the studio, with weeks' worth of zingers at their disposal, we have city columnist Paula Simons. Good morning, Brett Whitmire. Provincial affairs columnist Graham Thompson. Hello. As well as provincial affairs reporter Jody Cinema. Hello. You all look fantastic. That's because Jody and Graham have been on vacation, and I have been live tweeting the debate, so that's just as relaxing. It's, it just you have a healthy glow about you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we'll start with last night's big show. Um, after 16 years, John Stewart is leaving The Daily Show. No, no, I mean the other big show. All those pundits, at least the ones I watched, thought nobody really got clobbered in last night's debate. But if you had to name one, who would be your pick for winner or loser and why? Uh, <laughs> Go ahead, and, and, Paula, what, 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 who yes, watched so, the entire that's thing. That's right. All right. So I would say that the surprise winner of the debate was Elizabeth May, who I think perhaps didn't convince a lot of Canadians to believe in her platform, but who came across as articulate, as funny, as relaxed, as human, as sort of the the sensible, uh, witty one of the debate. I think she definitely proved her right to be in any future debates. Uh, And I think that for Elizabeth May, who after all, doesn't have a legitimate shot at becoming prime minister, but who really needs to score some points against Thomas Mulcair. It was a very good outing, and I think one that uh, entrenched her credibility on the Canadian political landscape. I think if there's a loser last night, it was actually Thomas Mulcair, because I think he came in with high expectations. People who've seen him in question period thought he would dominate the debate, and instead he seemed to oscillate between being sleepy and being snide. I thought that his Uh, He was, I think, if anything, over-rehearsed and didn't come across as sincere, didn't come across as engaged. It was a very peculiar performance from the man who I thought would win the debate. Yeah. i got to say that um, I didn't watch the whole debate. I began getting bored by it, to be honest. I began looking looking for the Republican debate in the U.S. on (laughs) on television, and I couldn't find it. (laughs) It became an obsession. I have Shaw, Cape, I have a lot of digital, the whole (laughs) bit. I could not find it. I tried going online to the Fox network. You couldn't get it in Canada from there. You had to sign in. I could not find the Republican debate. Neither could they. And I had a hard time. So I, I began flipping back and forward. But anyway, so I would say overall, I think uh, Paula is right. Uh, May won just by being invited. She was at you know the big person's table. Uh, when you have her debating with the prime minister, she's been elevated uh, extremely high. So that was a win for her. I thought Trudeau, from what I saw, did did well. Uh, low expectations going into it. People thought you know he maybe is not ready for prime time. I, th- I think he did a really good job. Um, and I agree. Um, with uh, Paula as well regarding uh, Malcair. What I saw of it, um, there was one exchange where he kept asking for a number from... You what's know, your number? What's your number, number Justin? Number? I was like, I thought, are you asking him on a date? I mean, there are women <laughs> across Canada who would like to know Justin's number. But I didn't think Thomas Malcair would be on that list. And it was, I found it annoying. 
You yeah. know, it's like those stupid little things to try and get a, a point across. And it, it was not a, a winning uh, comment from Mulcair. So no, I in, in that exchange, after all of the criticism that Trudeau was sort of callow and, and right. feckless, it was Mulcair who ended up looking immature in that exchange, I thought. Yeah, ab- absolutely. So I, I just thought that uh, yeah, May looked really good. Um, Mulcair did not look good. Trudeau looked good. And I thought um, Harper kind of just did what he had to do, you know, and... Um, and look like the prime minister and keep Canada safe and strong. <laughs> I, I I wouldn't pick May as the necessary winner. I don't see there being any winners and losers, but she was definitely the most relaxed up there. What I'm wondering is, if you were just listening to it on radio, and I'm not sure if that was even possible, yeah, what would not, Mul- not in Edmonton, but in other places. What would Mulcair have been like? Because he was very stiff on TV, but I would have been curious, if you took his face off of the camera, what would it have been less stiff? Because I found him very jarring to watch on TV. May was much more relaxed. Relaxed. Trudeau was great on camera as well. Harper, of course, is always stiff. Um, but in terms of styles, May was definitely the most engaged. I, I'm just curious about Mulcair because he, yeah, he he didn't he didn't uh, touch me in any way. He was very quite cold. Yeah, and it, I think Jody makes a really excellent point. I mean, people have always said that historically about the famous Kennedy-Nixon debates. You know, that the people who watched on television thought Kennedy was the clear winner, and people who listened on the radio thought it was Nixon. So the, the medium definitely does inform the way people see things. I think it's interesting what, what Jody and Graham have both said about Stephen Harper. There were times in the debate that you almost forgot he was there. Part of that was the physical arrangement of people on the stage where he was off to one side. On the far right. But, yeah, but a lot of a lot of the engagement in the debate was amongst the three opposition leaders. And oftentimes Harper, I don't, maybe it's actually a conscious strategy to take himself out of the debate. But a lot of the time, I felt like he kind of disappeared from the conversation. It was a, a very curious thing. I mean, he was certainly statesmanlike when he spoke about the issues of security and, uh, you know, Canada's engagement in, in Syria and Iraq. I like how you s- called him a statesman because he sounded very calm. Uh, he knew what he was talking about. You know, I could sense it why you could trust Stephen Harper. When I heard Justin Trudeau, he was he used very short kind of breathy sentences and it kind of set me on edge a little bit. It, we'll talk about this later, but his end speech had a much different tone than when he was talking. Mm-hmm. And he felt really rushed and sometimes breathless, not nervous per se, but I just, when I heard Harper, I could understand why people tend to trust his style a bit more. Mm-hmm. Also, he tells you, uh, <laughs> we've been clear. He's and this been is very Here's clear. the fact. And and uh, he sort of gives these very cues that 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 he's giving you the straight goods. And the whole point, I think, uh, it's a good point you raise, that um, he wants to be seen as the person you would trust with the economy and with security. You might not like him, fine, but he's still the most competent one up there. And that 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 came across, I thought, last night as well. Yeah, but I think for people who are trying to decide, are you going to vote for Trudeau or Mulcair? You know, if, if the anti-Harper people were looking to figure out where to park their vote. I don't think they got a very clear answer last night. And I think people who were watching, hoping to be won over by Mulcair, didn't get that. Exactly. I felt exactly the same way. I think if you've decided what party you're going to stand by, you'll probably stick with that party. I just don't think anybody won. They're not going to, none of them argued to win you over. Most debates, there's a, a lot of talking past each other. Do you think there was anything that sort of really felt genuine? Oh, yeah, I think that was one of the great things. And I have to say compliments to McLean's and to Paul Wells, the moderator, because unlike a lot of previous debates where a question gets thrown out and nobody actually answers it and nobody 
actually engages or clashes with each other. You know, you have to forgive me. I'm a, I spend my, I spend my off hours as a volunteer debate adjudicator. Uh, so the debate adjudicator in me was very happy because there was direct engagement and direct clash on a lot of issues where the leaders actually, you know, discussed point to point the Clarity Act, point to point the pipeline strategy, point to point, uh, you know, the question of what we should be doing in, in the Middle East. I mean, I thought from a technical debate point of view, this was a really good debate. There wasn't very much debate about social issues, so about uh, Aboriginal people or about health care. Um, and it'll be interesting to see in if there are follow-up debates where all of them show up, where there are suggestions that they won't, whether or not those kinds of social issues and human issues will, will appear. People seem to be very divided on Justin Trudeau's closing two minutes, and, and he seemed to just really have a marked change in tone and pace, and uh, it was like he was at a poetry recital. He was sort of very flowery. I think he was trying to appeal directly to viewers in a way, you know, trying to hit that Obama moment, trying to inspire hope. Was he successful? I thought all of their closing speeches were weak. I thought all four closing speeches were sort of the low point of the evening. Uh, and at first when Trudeau started, because he was the last to speak, I thought, oh, okay, well, this one's going to be better because he was really selling it. His presentation, you know, seemed sincere and on point. And then as it went on and <laughs> on, it's like, you know, when fruit is ripe and then one moment it's overripe. Well, and he and paused at the end and Paul Wells jumped mm -hmm. in and he hadn't quite finished. So then he finished off. So it, it didn't work for me. I liked that he slowed down. He, he was a little bit easier to listen to, but I don't think there was very much substance. I think it really proved that he didn't bring up any real hard policies and where he stood. And I didn't like that. Mm. And I think, you know, it, it's a dangerous game for him to play to invoke the ghost of his father because that's what he tried to do in that last speech, say, this is what I learned from my father, from my father. And what he needed to do last night was to prove that he was more than Pierre Trudeau's son. And so to come back to that, I think, was a strategic error. And it was an oratory performance. I felt it very much more of a performance than the entire debate. We talked in previous weeks about how the shaky economy might be terrible for the provincial NDP when you have to actually do business. Uh, but it could be play well for the federal conservatives in this election campaign. Uh, did Stephen Harper fend off his opponents? I thought, given that there was a whole section on the economy, that Harper performed really quite poorly in that segment. I mean, Thomas Mulcair, in one of the strongest moments of the debate, got Harper to admit that Canada was in recession. Uh, and I thought, actually, that Justin Trudeau, I thought that was also his strongest segment of the debate, was talking about the economy. I thought Harper looked flat-footed there. And you're right, Brent, what he needed to do was to say to people, the world economy is going through a you know, through a rough point, and I'll be the steady hand on the tiller. And I thought, actually, that was, that was Harper's low point in the debate. I don't think it worked for him at all. Even his slogan is, you know, a strong Canada, a safe Canada. And they're trying to focus, of course, on security. They're making this issue up about, you know, ISIS and the threat to Canada, when in fact the biggest threat, of course, is the, the economy. And we have 10 and a half weeks left. You know, I think last night is a defining moment on the debate. Not at all. They have 10 weeks still to actually get their message across. And people right now, other than us, perhaps, are actually not really paying attention. People are on vacation right now, and this, to me, is not going to be a, a big issue for the campaign moving forward because there is no overt, I hate this term, knockout punch. No one fell, and no one fell over, and Trudeau arrived with his pants on. <laughs> and so I think last night may not be a defining moment, and it likely won't be. It's a real contrast, too, to the debate we saw just a couple of months ago, the Prentice-Notley debate, yeah. which was electrifying and which really 
did change the narrative and I think changed the course of, of that election campaign. This debate last night didn't have that kind of high watermark. Of course, it didn't also have Brian Jean, the amazing mechanical man. <laughs> so, uh, Was he going to raise taxes? I don't remember. <laughs> Uh, what, what do you think of, of uh, Harper's attack earlier this week on Alberta uh, in French, uh, where where he's he sort of uh, said that you know blood is flowing on the streets and chaos is uh, everywhere? <laughs> what and what did you think of that? And what did you think of Rachel Notley's response? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, yes, he said it in French. He was uh, uh, going to a French audience, of course. He's it was he was using um, Notley as a proxy to hammer Mulcair, saying, "Look, if you elect the NDP government federally." get the same disaster use that word disaster as, as you <laughs> she actually said, I think, see three times disaster as you disaster. see in uh, in alberta of course it was over the top rhetoric you know notley just won the election <laughs> right we're only a few months into her mandate albertans did not reject the ndp in fact they embraced the ndp when it came to the tax hikes it was an election platform and she fulfilled a promise because people voted for her. And when he said Albertans have rejected it, and I'm thinking, what, what is he talking about? I know. I wanted proof. I wanted yeah, him exactly. to list a few things. So he's talking about polls. Or he's talking about maybe the election results that night where um, Notley won 41% of the vote. Well, you know, okay, fine. A majority did not vote for her. But guess what? In 2011, um, Harper won with only 39% of the vote. For a, a, So the majority of Canadians have rejected Harper many times. So anyway, he did it to take a whack at um, the federal NDP. And as for the response by Notley, it's been very measured. She's saying, I'm not going to get involved in this. Uh, I will defend our record. I will defend our government. But she's not going to get into a nasty war of words. And to me, that's a smart political decision yeah, to I stay out of I it. I thought Rachel Notley handled this beautifully. Her, her statement, you know, she just looked so serene and poised and she wouldn't even say Harper's name. She said, you know, the criticism coming from the conservative campaign, uh, it, it, it was really interesting because Harper's rhetoric was so over the top. And as Graham says, like, you know, based on based on what her the last, you know, the last HQ, uh, you know, the poll showed Notley polling at 74 percent approval in Edmonton. So, I mean, if if Harper is concerned about seats in Edmonton uh, and if he's concerned about seats in Calgary, I don't see that beating up on the premier of Alberta in that kind of ham-fisted way is a terribly winning strategy. But I don't think he was just whacking on Rachel Notley. In some sense, he was whacking on the Alberta voters because we voted for her and he said, we've brought in this disaster. But I think Rachel Notley's response was measured because she can't whack back because she knows that conservatives are going to be elected here again and she's going to have to work with them i mean she still has to work with harper so we'll see what kind of relationship they form but she can't whack back and and take a take a chunk out of them in return because there will be conservatives here in alberta obviously the economy continues to wreak havoc here um, for not least government earlier this week and so they're working on the budget earlier this week uh, health minister sarah hoffman apologized for quote-unquote misunderstandings that the ndp would restore 75 million dollar cut to primary care networks and that was a cut from Jim Prentice's budget. Is this a case that of a government that has promised too much? I think the context is that um, the government was saying, or the NDP was saying in the election campaign, we will not cut health care, don't worry, we'll protect all of this. And then they had news conferences to reinvest in health care and education. So the context was set that people expected money for primary care networks, and it hasn't worked out that way. So I think the problem is the context. They were not clear enough 
on what they wouldn't wouldn't they, what they would be doing what they wouldn't be doing and that's caused a problem they had to come out and explain themselves so they got themselves in, in this mess because of their lack of clarity yeah and maybe i'm not skeptical enough i don't think it was a deliberate deceit on the part of the government to not give that 75 million dollars i think there was a misunderstanding there but i think when where they really misstepped was when all the media reported that the government was actually going to give the 75 million dollars back and there was no this was in early july i do believe there was no clarification or any changes made by the government saying hey that's not the case they didn't speak up until the doctors started raising concerns in the background saying hey we didn't get that money so really the government should have at that point stepped forward and said we're not giving you 75 more million this is just a pause in our funding in the early days in its early sort of honeymoon period it, it made a lot of announcements a lot of positive you know uh, spending spending uh, promises uh, d- did it has it sort of put itself in a, a little bit of a potential bind yep because it's really easy to promise things when you don't think you're going to win and then you win and then you know it was really easy to promise things too when you thought oil prices were going to recover and they're not and so yeah no i mean they're going to have a problem because edmontonians in particular have very high expectations of what this government is going to do and, and it, not just edmontonians yeah. but the unions and the teachers and everybody out there they all want their piece of the pie and they and with the budget not everybody is going to be happy no they, it is not going to be all candy floss and lemonade come october yeah um yeah that's right the free frozen treats we got on uh, the day they <laughs> were sworn in that, that's they done. run out they're out <laughs> because um yeah and a serious level here is that the budget's going to be a lot worse than we even thought a few months ago because the price of oil is dropping even further. And there'll be no budget, of course, until late October at the earliest. They're still working through it. And also, Notley does not want to bring down a budget. It's got a huge deficit in it before the federal election. Because if we saw Harper attack her uh, for, he's making things up regarding the disaster that they are. Imagine Harper on the campaign trail if they brought out in September or early October a gigantic deficit in Alberta, he'd be all over it. Yeah, is is that a responsible move? Is that what you would think you would do in that situation? Well, that's politics, right? Y- you might think it's the best thing to do is to be honest. You know, get this budget <laughs> out ASAP. But in politics, honesty is not always the best policy when it comes to actually winning votes. Also this week, uh, Brian Jean announced, uh, sort of below the radar, that he's going to tour the province this summer, presumably to slag the NDP and campaign for his former boss, which he said he's, he's going to do, Stephen Harper. Is this making up for his very abbreviated jump into the provincial provincial scene? He, he went from the leadership debate to the election race with, with, with only a few words in between. I think this is more a case of him just getting out there to get people to know him. This is a very typical August. It's really quiet in politics, except for the federal election, but um, usually in August it's quiet. Provincially it's very quiet, and it's a way for him to get out to the barbecue circuit and try and get his name in the paper or on television to be mentioned throughout August. Normally a really quiet time in politics. But it's going to be really hard because he's going to be competing with that federal election. I mean, And he's going to obviously target Wild Rose supporters. I mean, he's going out there to hear their concerns about the new NDP government. He's not going to search for, for new voters necessarily. He wants to preach to the converted already. But I think this is just part of his job. Yes, it's a tour. This is what he's supposed to be doing, going out and talking to constituents. So it's a good time for it. Speaking of good things, it's time for good stuff from the gallery. Each week we share something we've enjoyed often, but not always with a political connection. So 
Jody. After the debate last night, I think they posted it last night or early this morning, the Toronto Star just posted a short story about seven facts that were claimed during the debate last night and whether or not they were true. So we heard throughout the debate people yelling, that's not true, no, you've got it wrong. It really shows how much rhetoric and spin is put on and people can claim all sorts of things on TV. So it's just a way to, to look at some of the issues a little deeper. Great. Paula. I'm going to suggest something that's from a completely different political milieu. It's been a very disturbing week in the Middle East. Two terrible incidents of uh, uh, terrorism in Israel carried out by Jewish extremists. And the Israeli government is reeling as it tries to figure out how to deal with terror and, and fundamentalism from its own Jewish community. And so I'm going to recommend a piece by Asher Schechter in Haaretz.com analyzing the genesis of this terrible Jewish fundamentalist violence and what the government should and ought to be doing about it. Graham. Uh, mine comes from um, this month's edition of Esquire. Um, it's called um, Ballad of the Sad Climatologist. When the end of human civilization is your day job, it can be hard to sleep at night by John H. Richardson. An interesting uh, look at the personal um, stress that climatologists are going under, especially in the U.S., where they're talking about the science is very clear about climate change, but they're getting huge pushback from the right wing and just how some have actually just moved to Europe because Europe's a bit more understanding about the science and they're not denying it. It's interesting, look at the personal stress and depression. It's actually depression now, and they call it, I guess, climate burnout, basically, that they're getting to the point now that they, some have actually just left, the, gone off the grid are living in the forests and things like that, and some are still fighting back, but it shows the kind of life that they're leading in the last few decades. That they're trying to warn people about climate change, and they're supposed, supposed to be thanked uh, by people. They're actually getting attacked, especially in the U.S. Very interesting. And my, my piece also comes from the U.S. and another controversial issue uh, from The Atlantic, where Connor Fried Friedersdorf wades into the abortion debate currently underway. Planned Parenthood is under fire after some disturbing video emerged, some say doctored, about the sale of fetal tissue for biomedical research. What I really appreciate about Fried Friedersdorf is that in this polarized debate uh, that's been going on for decades, he readily admits to, to belonging in the conflicted middle. Um, he also raises some interesting questions about opposition in Colorado to uh, for, for IUDs, uh, interuterine devices, which recently reduced the number of abortions there by 42%. And yet the same people arguing against uh, abortion are arguing against these uh, IUDs. Previous episodes of the Press Gallery are at edmontonjournal.com slash opinion or on the Edmonton Journal SoundCloud feed. The show pops up most Friday afternoons. It can be retrieved via iTunes, TuneIn Radio, and the Edmonton Journal website. We're all on Twitter. You should check out the Journal's Facebook page. Thank you, Paula, Graham, and Jody, for joining me in the newsroom studio. Tune in next time when someone other than me will be back to play everyone's favorite game, What's Your Number? That's all for now from the Press Gallery. Thanks for listening.